Welcome to this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the Friday version of Charlotte Readers Podcast, where host Landis Wade and his author guests get under the covers. That's right. We get in and out because there are just too many interesting books and engaging authors in the region and not enough time. And just like the longer version of the show, you'll learn interesting facts about the authors and their books, and the authors will read their work. And also like the longer version, you will find images, links, and information about the authors in the show notes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. We're also grateful to those of you who offer member support, for which I'm pleased to offer in return member-only content curated with our authors and myself. You can find out more about this member-only content and how you can help authors give voice to their written words at charlottereaderspodcast.com. When Landis is not getting under the cover at bookstores, at events, and on the road, he does it in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, located in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte. But enough with the prologue. Let's get under the covers. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. Hey, listeners, uh, today we're visiting with Tracy Barton Barrett on our Under the Covers episode and talking about her debut novel, Buried Deep in Our Hearts. It uh, follows three families with their furry family members as they share their lives together. And when uh, the cherished animal dies, they lead their community to come together to support each other and honor their beloved pets. Uh, Welcome to the show, Tracy. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, and congratulations on the book. Thank you very much. Yeah. So let's talk about you and the animals for a minute. Uh, So according to your bio, which will appear in detail in the show notes, you've been tied or linked or have you want to describe it to animals from a very early age. Is that right? That is true. Yeah. I think you even said from in utero. I'm not sure that's possible, but uh, (laughs) did you have some kind of symbiotic connection to animals even in the womb? (laughs) I wonder. I wonder, kind of joke that I came out looking around the operating room saying, where are the animals? Where, where's, why are they all human here? Yeah. And so what, uh, what, what drew you to animals so early on in your life? You know, that's a really great question. If you talk to any animal lover, um, it, it seems to be something inherent, something, uh, primal almost there, there's such a, a animals have such a way about them that are so open and accessible, the unconditional love, the, um, authenticity is amazing. That's something that you don't often see with people. If an animal likes you, they will definitely make it known. If they mm-hmm. don't like you, they will definitely make it known. Yeah. So <laughs> I think that can be very refreshing um, to know where you stand and uh, just the bounds of love that they give yeah. is just is can really be a draw for children in particular who yeah. also are on that level as well, just of openness and authenticity. Yeah, I can see, um, you know, we're doing this thing remotely during the this is going to come out, this episode will come out in June, but we're here doing this in April during our 
you know, shelter in place. And I can see behind you on the top of a shelf, a bunch of stuffed animals. (laughs) (laughs) I was like 30 stuffed animals. What are you doing with so many stuffed animals? (laughs) Oh, well, this is actually part of the menagerie, actually. Um, The other part of the menagerie is in the other room. And so we all have the things that we collect. And um, actually, when I see clients, this is my rationale anyway. When I would see clients after they'd lose an animal, I would try to find, a, especially with a dog, a breed um, of stuffed animal that looked like their animal. So it would help them when they were in the room. So that's part of my menagerie. The other menagerie <laughs> part of it is just, I just love stuffed animals. Some people collect, right. you know, cars. I collect stuffed animals. Well, this is all kind of a lead up to this book that you wrote, uh, that uh, this novel that, that deals with animals uh, and, and the families who love them. But uh, your first job, I think, was in a veterinarian's office. So you've done pet sitting. You became a licensed professional counselor with a specialty in pet law. So it's not just a child's love of animals. You've uh, you've taken this to the to the next level. Yeah, I think when they when they uh, enter your heart early on in your life, they stay, it stays with you. Sometimes um, they say that whatever you loved when you were a child stays with you. And so if you really love cars when you were younger, that can stay with you. It looks a little differently when you turn into an adult and an older adult, but um, it, the, the love morphs, but it's, it always remains. Mm-hmm. And all this uh, probably informed your, your writing here, but uh you have been a facilitator or a co-facilitator of pet loss support groups. And I'm wondering um, how that work sort of uh, kind of infused itself into this work of fiction here. Yeah. So um, when I was going through grad school um, in, in counseling, uh, one of the things that I always wanted to do was to write a book about pet loss. I co-facilitated the pet loss support groups. Um, after grad school and counseling, because group working with people in groups can be very illuminating, having other people support you and know that you're not alone. Because when you lose an animal, many people, it's called disenfranchised grief, meaning that it's not usually given the credence that, oh, well, you can just get another one, just go to the shelter, there's ones there. Um, So I wanted it to be a way that you could um, feel supported by people who understood. And so I knew I always wanted to write a book about Uh, helping people healing after they've lost an animal. Um, But initially it was going to be a self-help book. It was going to be nonfiction. Um, And so I was the, you know, great student where I looked as many articles that I could find online, which there weren't many at the time, actually. There's more opening about it now. But, um, and I had all my folders and everything and it just stood there and sat there collecting dust for years and years. And I kept looking over at the folders thinking, I need to do something with that and create a book. You're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. crying out to me, but I yeah. didn't have the um, the impetus or the, the drive to really move forward. And then yeah. after, um, on the anniversary of our Kimball Kitty's death, um, it just hit me like a ton of bricks, make it fiction. And once it, once that wave came over me, um, it, it was literally like all these ideas like uploaded blah, 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 to me, and I just couldn't write fast enough these characters, and yes. that's how the book came about. That's great. Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit in a second, but before we do, before we get under the covers, uh, I think you say 
that you and your husband, Daniel, are owned by two cats. Is that right? That is true. <laughs> Rutherford B. Barrett, uh, a.k.a. Bubby and Oliver Monkey. I mean, where do you come up with these names? I know. My husband asked me the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, and, you said, and you said the kitties run the household, but and y'all just pay the mortgage. Is that right? I mean, that's exactly true. Okay. That's exactly true. There are two yeah. really good seats in front of the, the uh, TV that we have in the living room. You know, yeah. it's a big yeah. screen TV. Sometimes they'll yeah. take the, the best two seats. They, they take the best seats. And it's kind, kind, of like, kind of like when the kids come home to visit, you know, they take your seats. You know? <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> All right. So let's talk uh, about the front cover of the book for a second. Uh, buried deep in our hearts, uh, there's a there's a dog resting on the, on the front cover. Um, what kind of dog is this? Well, that's a golden retriever, and there's actually a cat hidden right under the, the ear. That's awesome. Oh, I see. I now yeah. see the cat. It looked like a paw for a second. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, we had a golden retriever once. That is a, a wonderful picture of the dog resting. Uh, is that a dog that you had at one time, or is that just a... No, actually, what's interesting is when I... Because um, I hired a gal to help me with the cover because I wanted the cover to look good. Um, so she... And, and this is an interesting thing, too, for other authors out there. You have a picture in your mind of what the cover is going to look like. And I had a perfect picture in my head for almost a year. And then the gal who helped me with this found this picture. And she said, Tracy, I think this picture goes with your book. Mm. And I, once I saw it, I was like, oh, my gosh, that's it. The other thing is you flip the book over. There's a horse at the top. It was yeah, very, I was going to ask you about the horse. There are no horses in this book, right? There are horses. In the book. Oh, there are horses in the book. Yeah. I, I started. I read. I read. The, you know, first couple of chapters to get get going on this, and I didn't see a horse in the first three chapters here. Yeah. The, yeah. the horse. <laughs> the horse story comes later, so it was important yeah. for me to have a horse, but the it would have been too busy on the front, so okay. we put it on the back. Put it on the back. Uh, well, one of the photos that we're going to use uh, for you to 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 promote this episode is you on a horse. Is that uh, is that your horse that you're riding? No, I've not. <laughs> <laughs> horses are have a special place in my heart actually um i've never had a horse and actually the book that i'm working on right now finding your spirit is about a, hor a horse loving girl and all the ways that horses touch her life despite the fact she can't have one all right so you ready to get under the covers yeah <laughs> if you like our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words please consider leaving a short written review about Charlotte Reader's podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you leave a review, it helps authors reach more listeners. You can keep up with news about the show and member-only content for our member supporters by joining our email list. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join the list, we will give you a free ebook written by me, the first book in the Christmas Courtroom Trilogy. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. All right, so we're we're talking about the book buried deep in our hearts. Uh, you, you've got uh, just a little bit about the the plot here. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, the, the the characters, both the uh, fuzzy ones and the uh, the ones that they own. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the um, Bryn and Julian Troxel are a married couple that have two children and they have a dog named Tucker and Tucker's the main dog story in the book. Um, Bryn's mother, Jacqueline uh, lives nearby 
And she's the one that has the horse story. Jacqueline is the one that has the horse story from when she was a young girl. And that story comes in later. Um, and her feelings toward her dog, or I'm sorry, toward her horse, Ranger, come in and actually color her um, experiences with her daughter, Bryn. And then you have Nivy and Alex Emerson, who own Kimball, and that's the cat storyline. And they have no children, um, but they have Kimball. And then later they have Sherlock and Watson, two cats. Oh, I like that combination. They're, they're, they're the investigators, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and, and the cat story here, I think you said uh, it was inspired by your own cat that you had for many years. Is that right? That is true. Yeah. yeah, and actually, um, again, it was the the anniversary of Kimball's death that really was the impetus to write the book and gave the energy behind it. Um, and so this is really, the book is actually a tribute to all the animals that have touched my life, but particularly Kimball. So in the book, um, the Kimball storyline is almost verbatim, including conversations my husband and I had, because Nivy and Alex are very based on my husband and I in our experience. So there's only a few details that I changed, but they're very, very minor. Now you said that you'd always wanted to write, uh, you know, about animal loss. Um, you had all this material and you decided to go fiction. You were inspired by your own cat story uh, in your life, but, uh, but why fiction? You could have told this story, I presume in nonfiction and still drawn out some emotions from the story. Why did you choose fiction? Yeah, that's and. That's the other $64,000 question. Um, I don't know why the the motivation, the drive to write turned into fiction, because the irony in all of this is when I was younger, I rarely read fiction mm. as a child. I only read nonfiction. So, um, yeah, I mean, now I read fiction all the time, but sure. as a child, I was always drawn to the nonfiction. At some point, I might create a companion booklet to this that's nonfiction that's a self-help and I'm at some point I would actually like to create a children's book based on this for children mm -hmm. and helping children to understand when they've lost an animal because it's usually their first experience with death is with an animal. All right we're going to talk some more about uh, the book here and uh, your writing life and, and the time we've got left in this show but let's do a little read here. Um, could you set this read up for us before you uh, read it for us? Sure. So this is um, this is uh, when Tucker the dog is meeting Olaf the kitten, and um, this Tucker belongs to uh, Bryn and Julian Troxel, and um, so this is when the the kitten and the dog meet for the first time. Yeah, Olaf sounds like he works for the Russian mafia or something. Yeah. <laughs> I'm well, a little, actually, I'm a, little, I'm a little worried about Tucker here, you know. No, the <laughs> no Olaf, I got from Olaf from Frozen, from because I'm a Disney fan too. So. Uh, okay, all right, okay. <laughs> and that's what the kid, kids named the, the kitten because he's okay. white. All right, there you go. Okay, so Bryn placed the kitten carrier in the middle of the living room. With his tail up, Tucker sniffed it as Olaf slowly crept out of the opening on her belly, observing all sets of eyes on her. Tucker stuck his snout on her tiny, triangular nose, and the two exchanged messages that only felines and canines could understand. Making the infinity sign with her body, Olaf walked under Tucker's belly, up across his front paws, back behind his tail, 
and under his belly again, each time sweeping her tail against his fur. Tucker sat down. Not understanding this change of position, Olaf twitched her back and licked her front shoulder. She playfully swiped at Tucker's muzzle with her white paw, then jump hopped to the living room coffee table, allowing Tucker a moment to glean more information about this diminutive creature. Once he got his fill, Tucker lay down, watching the white kitten closely for her next move. Olaf flattened her body and wiggled her bottom with an eagle eye on Tucker's fluffy tail. She pounced. Tucker jerked his head around as she caught his tail, lightly touching his nose to Olaf's belly. She scrambled on her back, ears flat against her head, and darted off to the side. Returning, she grabbed his front paws, flopping and contorting her body over them. Tucker watched patiently for the demon to be exercised. Standing up, he yawned and licked his lips, walking over to Bryn. His big eyes conveyed one message. Help me. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that's an awful patient dog, uh, but only for a while, right? <laughs> uh, and you know, there's that age old battle of dogs and cats and cats and dogs and this kind of thing, but some do cohabitate together, right? Oh, and they get along. Many yeah. do, actually. And there's there's yeah. quite a few larger dogs that do really well with kittens for some reason. They have the patience of a saint. And mm-hmm. these kittens are flopping all over them and <laughs> pulling at them, and they're what's going on? So are, are people, do you think, more, you know, either cat people or dog people? I mean, I, I know that I've always had dogs. My daughter has cats now. And uh, it seems like it's the thems and the us's, you know, when it comes to <laughs> dogs yeah. and cats. There's not, not a whole lot of mixed families, but I guess on a farm maybe. Uh, but but maybe in some residential neighborhoods. But uh, what's your been, been your experience with that? I've, I've seen, I've seen everything. I've seen people that are more dog people, people that are more cat people. And then I've seen people that just love cats and dogs. Love them so all. Yeah. It really depends yeah. on so many variables. So you set this, um, you know, in Michigan in a, uh, fictional place, I guess you call it, uh, Woodland run or Woodhaven run, but it's, uh, you grew up in Michigan. Is that right? I did, and actually, this is based on my hometown of Midland, Michigan. I just changed okay. the name of the the town, but it's okay. it's based in Midland. Michigan. So, what what are the characters in this book searching for? Um, I guess maybe the animals and the people. Yeah, I think for one, they're they're looking for they're they're looking for a way that they can honor their animals and realizing that other people are experiencing the similar things. So that's why they are able to come together as a community and create um, what they're able to create together. Um, And also just having some validation that their experiences are uh, common and natural and under, and can be understood. Um, Mm. That's what most of them are, are looking for in the book. Yeah, so how many animals do we lose in the book? <laughs> like a spoiler alert, uh, one, yeah. two, uh, two in the book, and one that's that died in the past, uh, Jacqueline's um, horse, Ranger. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the way that Ranger dies traumatizes Jacqueline in a way that she didn't realize traumatized her. And so that's how it influences her her relationship with her daughter, Bryn. 
So we won't give away which ones died. You got to read the book to find all that yeah. out. But 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 in terms of, um, you talk about how the community comes together in this book. I assume you're dealing with uh, individual loss um, that's personal to each of these characters in terms of their relationship with their pets. But in your own experience, um, do people deal with this in different ways? And do you try to explore that in your book as to how people kind of cope with the loss of uh, of an animal who's a beloved pet and friend? Absolutely. I mean, everybody has their own way of dealing with with loss and everything from complete denial that it even influences them. But then it usually comes out other ways because loss and grief has an energy behind it um, to honoring it. And, and the healthy way is to, to use that energy in a way to honor what you've lost. Mm. So um, I also just, uh, explore helping children to uh, helping children to understand when they've lost something what that means and how we can, how they can heal from that and how the adults around them can be good models for that. So did you set out uh, in writing this book to, 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 to tell or to offer sort of suggestions for how to deal with uh, this loss, not by telling it, but by showing it through the lives of these characters? Was that kind of the goal of what you had in mind? Yeah, that was my, that's my hope. Um, And to show that, it can grieving can be bumpy, um, and that there are individual ways, but then there are other ways that uh, can be helpful to a person long term. And the best way to go, you know, to heal from grieving is to go through it rather than to go around it. But to show that it's a, a way that we all have, um, or things that we have as a human to deal with that loss. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and they say you don't have a good book unless there's change going on, um, conflict going on. I guess conflict is death, and then the change is what comes about uh, in the people um, and the animal community as a result of that. So it sounds like yeah. that's all built in your book. Let's do writing life real quick before with the time we got left. Uh, you said to me that uh, you were sort of a nonfiction reader growing up. Uh, they say that... Uh, you should read a lot of what you want to write. And since you were reading all this nonfiction, how did you, <laughs> how did you shift to suddenly uh, being a fiction writer? Did that take some study on your part? Did you just sit down and just start going and get that uh, crappy rough draft out there and then go back and fix it? Yeah. What was your, pro- what was your process? Yeah. And the way that I write, um, I admire authors that can write in a linear fashion. That is not me. I literally get one scene, another scene. It's literally puzzle pieces that come together. And then I have my storyboard and I just see how they all fit together. Um, so that's, that's my process. And then, and then I pull it all together to that first crappy rough draft, as you said, right. and then right. just keep working at it, working. It's like, it's like at that point, it's just a lump of clay. So you're really just working it, shaping it. The other thing that I found helpful for me, um, because I, I don't have a master's in fine arts or creative writing or anything. I, the only writing classes I took were what were needed for a regular bachelor's or master's program. Mm -hmm. But my background in psychology helped me to understand motivation, which is basically what fiction writing is. What's the motivation of the characters? What do they want? What are they searching for? Like you said, what is it that they are afraid of? 
um, these types of things. So I used my understanding of psychology and psychology theory to help to create that as well as my own personal experiences. Yeah, well, they say, you know, they say, uh, I've been telling people I got to learn how not to write like a lawyer when I write my books. You've got to learn how not to write like an academic <laughs> when you write yours. Uh, so I'm just curious, when you said you uh, storyboard and you compartmentalize, do you use note cards? Do you use software? You stick stuff to the wall. What do you do to, to kind of keep that uh, those different chapters so you can move them around? Yeah, I, I do actually have a storyboard with note cards. And then once I can see it, then I, and, and I know a lot of authors don't like this, but I create a um, Word doc for every scene. I've tried Scrivener. It didn't work for me. Um, some authors love Scrivener, mm -hmm. which is great. But yeah. I, I find it easier just to have a Word doc for every scene, and then I eventually pull it together. So that's how yeah. I do my process. Yeah, I wrote a couple of my books with Scrivener, and it's, uh, it is a helpful way to do it if you're going to move chapters around and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, okay, a couple of final questions before we run out of time here. Uh, yeah. What has this, uh, what is writing this book meant to you, both in your journey of writing it and now that you've got it out there in the world? Yeah, I. That's such a great question because um, this book is the closest I'll ever have to having a child. I mean, it is it is my child. Um, so when somebody asks you about your book, it's like somebody asking about your child. So you, you could talk about it for hours and hours. So it's been a real catharsis. Um, it helped me to heal from some of my losses, especially with Kimball. Um, I, I hope it provides healing for other people as well. And I, I also want to mention one thing. There are moments of levity in the book. I good, hope there are good. scenes that are going to make you laugh too. I yeah, just don't want yeah. somebody to think, oh my gosh, I'm going to boo-hoo the right. whole book. You're, you're not. Yeah, um, yeah. There are funny moments. Um, so, you know, I just, I feel like it's a reflection of life where there are sad moments and there are happy moments. So, um, but it's, I hope it. You know, I hope that I learned a lot from this first book. So with Finding Your Spirit, my second book, I can, you know, just become better and better because, um, you know, it is a process and it is a practice to write. Yeah, well, I know you say it's your baby. You're very attached to it. Uh, I read somewhere, um, I don't know whether it was Elizabeth Gilbert in Big Magic or whether it was Julia Cameron in, in her, her book on creativity, but one of them said, now you got to be careful about calling it your baby because somebody's going to ask you to cut it in half, <laughs> and somebody else is going to ask you if they can buy it from you. You know, yeah, I know. that's <laughs> so, true. So, so you know, you, you can't get too too attached to it. But uh, that's when, when, true. But one final thing: you add something at the end of the book. You've got uh, some resources and re reflection for discussion. Is that part of your mission to try to help uh, people deal with animal loss and what you're doing with the book? It is. And as a former educator, I just could not have, could not, in, not include right. uh, discussion yeah. questions. It's just inherent in who I am. So we, we yeah. got to talk about what we just read. And That's exactly. Okay. Well, uh, there are going to be information in the show notes about you, links to the book, how to find you, uh, other information about uh, you and your books. Uh, so Tracy, I want to thank you for being part of this Under the Covers episode of Charlotte Rivers Podcast. Thank you again. Appreciate it. Well, that's it for today. 
another fine author giving voice to their written work. Landis will be back next Friday getting under the covers with another interesting author. But before then, coming on Tuesday, we'll have another long-form episode with readings and conversations about the written words and the writing life of a local or regional author. Landis loves helping authors give voice to their written words, but he can't do it alone. If you're inclined to help me help authors give voice to their written words, please consider becoming a member supporter. We'd love to have you as a member. And when you join at certain levels, we'll give you access to member-only content curated by the authors and me. Would you like to hear more from the authors? Perhaps a variety of presentations on writing craft, or additional readings, or tips on marketing and social media. Would you like some behind-the-scenes insights and reflections from me, or some edited content from previous episodes without interruptions? You can find out more about these member-only benefits and how to become a member supporter at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for your support, and thank you for listening. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast.